0: Good morning, this is the word of God, Matthew 6, verses 19 through 24, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, since either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one, yet despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money.
1: Thank you, Renee. Morning church. My name is John Fox, if I haven't met you yet. Uh, so great to hear uh, the word about the men's and women's discipleships. Hope you guys avail yourself of those opportunities. Um, I wanted to go to the last 6 a.m. one, but I just decided not to. so so like Derek is saying, the 7, 7 p.m. is probably good for a lot of you guys too. Um, well, today We're going to be continuing on in the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, I don't know how long we've been in this now, maybe a month and a half, Uh, and and we've just crossed the halfway point, so uh, there's still a a fair amount left to dig into here. And if you're unfamiliar with the Sermon on the Mount, it is traditionally the uh, three chapters, five, six, and seven of Matthew, that is the closest thing to a manifesto from Jesus that we have, and uh, we have the four gospel accounts, of course. But a lot of a lot of um, theologians and commentators believe that the Sermon on the Mount is the center of uh, the Scriptures. Essentially, um, we have the Old Testament, New Testament, number of books, but the Gospels is really where you see Jesus in his life and ministry. And then within the Gospels, yet again, you see kind of a, another. Uh, center point, which is this, um, this explanation of what it would be like for heaven to come down to earth, what, what it would actually be like um, for there not to be a divorce. Uh, a number of theologians have also pointed out that early on, due to uh, the fall and uh, Adam's choice uh, to sin in the garden, there's a, a separation or a divorce between heaven and earth, and so Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount will give us a picture of what it could be like to live in such a world where God is present God is fully known and loved and um, and his people are there with him and, and so Jesus talks about this idyllic kingdom this idyllic um, government or civilization and what it would be like and you know as we start the Sermon on the Mount you start to see all these comments about how blessed people are who are poor, and who are sorrowful. And as you go through the list, you think, this is, these are not the kind of people I would think, that I would think would be in this kingdom. Uh, These are like the lowest people in today's standards, but they're the highest people in God's. And it's really to the spiritual point that those who think that they don't need God are not going to be in this kingdom. But those who recognize their need for Him and their their own uh, poverty are the ones who can see him as their only hope. And so as Jesus is talking about the Sermon on the Mount here, he'll move from this uh, initial starting point where he talks about kind of who is in the kingdom. And then he talks about how we relate to each other in the kingdom. And so in, uh, in Matthew 6, he'll start to talk about uh, six different moral laws related to the Torah or the Old Testament uh, books and saying, What would it be like for, for heaven to be on earth in the way that we interact with each other? And so he'll say, um, You have heard that it was said, but I tell you six times to say, You've heard what you think it would be like, but let me tell you differently. And then um, uh, at the beginning of chapter six, Jesus will say, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Otherwise, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. The idea of reward is very key here. So Jesus says, if you want to live in this new kingdom, I'm not only going to tell you what it's like to interact with one another. I'm going to tell you what it should be like in your own heart. What should your own uh, motivations be? Should it essentially be for the praise of God or the praise of man? And that's the first, first half of chapter 6 that we've covered. And so Jesus will say, I'll give you three examples. Almsgiving or helping the poor. Praying and fasting. The inward reality of your life, the, the inner man, as uh, some people say. What is the character of it? It's not just morality that Jesus is after here. He's after a virtuous life. That's a big difference. He decries the Pharisees for their moral and seemingly righteous attitudes. But in fact, he knows that it's really only a surface-level morality and he wants to go deeper. He wants to go deeper with his people and deeper with us today. And so he moves on from just the internal component of our hearts to now, how does that work out in your own dealing with the goods of the world? Not just not just your own personal devotion in terms of... Um, helping the poor, or praying and the amount of prayer time that you have, or your kind of connectedness to God in prayer, or even fasting, uh, more obscure spiritual discipline. But he says, like, how, how does this kingdom work? How does heaven coming to earth line up with the way that you handle the world's goods? And so um, today, we get to hear from Jesus talking about money everybody's favorite thing. And, um, and so just as we begin here, I haven't begun yet, if you didn't know that. So it's a long, long <laughs> intro, long intro today. This is how Aaron gets away with like 10 minutes less sermon than he actually preaches, by the way, is he tags it all on before the prayer. So I'm doing that today. I'm doing that. Um, so, yeah, when, when Jesus is talking about this, he's essentially going to go after how we handle money or possessions. There's a few different words in the text that we'll interact with, um, but um, I just encourage you, if this is sensitive for you, uh, if it's hard for you to, uh, to hear a church talk about money and how you handle it, and that money is not actually yours, it's, it belongs to God's, as everything belongs to God, um, then... I just want to call your attention to um, Matthew 11, a little bit later on in the same gospel where where Jesus will will tell the crowds, he'll tell the disciples and uh, plus more, the people who are listening. He says, um, compared to the Pharisees and all of the religious rules that they put on you, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I say that because even as I interact with the Sermon on the Mount here, there's a lot of great truth here But I feel every week as if I'm just hearing like, you're not good enough, you're not good enough, you're not good enough. And that is more commentary on my own heart than Jesus' words. It really is. So um, as we begin today, I want you to hear that Jesus is coming alongside of us in this passage. He comes to us and he says, if you want to really have a life uh, that is easy and not oppressive, hear what I have to say. So... Uh, With that, let me go ahead and pray. Father, we ask that uh, these words that you have given to us, they would be life, they would be reviving, they would be welcoming, and um, God, that we would open up our hearts to them, we would hear what you have to say, and we would hear them as if they were coming off of the lips of your son for the first time. We thank you that you've given us your spirit to uh, apply your words, your truth to us, and to change us. In your son's name, amen. So, today's passage is in the second half of Matthew chapter 6. One way you could think about it is that we've, we've peaked the, the mountain. We've summited the mountain. And now we're going down on the other side of the, the Sermon on the Mount. I didn't come up with that. It was some commentary guy, so <laughs> don't think I'm that clever. Um, but the, uh, the main point, really, for today is going to be this. That God desires for us to seek heavenly treasures, not earthly ones. God desires for us to seek heavenly treasures, not earthly ones. And uh, so we see this in the, in the first two verses of uh, the passage here. Matthew 6:19 to 21 says, "Don't store it for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy." Where thieves break in and steal. Some translations say, uh, instead of rust, vermin. Kind of gives you a different feel for it. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I'm sure that many of you have heard this verse. If you've been anywhere around church, you've probably heard it. Um, And uh, along with it, the idea that money is not the problem, but the love of money is the problem. That's how Jesus will talk about it a little bit differently elsewhere. And so, I'm sure that this is a familiar passage to you. It certainly is to me. And as I'm reading this, uh, I just had to write this down as I was doing sermon prep this past week because I immediately hit uh, some barriers reading this passage. And uh, I think God gave me enough awareness to realize what they are. Uh, The first one, I would say, is related to audience. Audience. When I read this passage, and I think when we hear it, we are first prone to believe that Jesus is talking about other people. So, Jesus' command right out of the gate is do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. That's very clear. Don't do it. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth. And so, when I hear that, I think, well, okay, Jesus is talking about wealthy people. I'm not wealthy. Therefore, this doesn't really apply to me, right? Because um, he, he talks about wealth more and more, about people who have the ability to store up more and more wealth. And even later on, Jesus gives a parable about a man who uh, did this so much. He said, what am I going to do? I guess I'll, I'll tear all my buildings down. I'll build bigger ones to keep all the stuff in there. And And even though there there is a certain kind of level of of wealth or person, maybe upper class that might come to mind for you, uh, the problem with this is that that's not who Jesus is talking to. Not here. That's not the audience. That's not the context. Uh, And there's a couple ways that we know this. Number one is that um, when Jesus is talking about wealth and storing up treasures on earth, He's talking, to, um, he's talking to people that are right around him. And where he is in Jerusalem is not a high-class area. This is a rural area. And Jesus goes up onto a mountain to sit down to tell all these people. These are not the aristocracy of the day. These are farmers. These are small business people. Uh, we might say that they're pretty much middle or lower-class people that jesus is really engaging with here and so uh we know that that because of that jesus is when he's giving this prohibition on storing up wealth he's not saying those people out there he's saying you know you i'm talking to you i'm not talking to anybody else i'm talking about you and the resources that you have that god has given you and so we can't really dodge Jesus' point here. We may think that we want to or we, that we can, but he's, he really is uh, very direct. He says we can't do that. Jesus, his audience is his disciples. And that's another thing, that when we see the disciples go up the mountain to meet Jesus and hear his teachings from on high, it's his disciples. So even if you think, well, maybe middle, upper, lower class, like, it doesn't matter. The point is, it's his disciples. If you are somebody who wants to be called a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, these words are for you. These words are for me. Uh, So that's the second barrier I find when I interact with this this, or the first one. And the second one I think is probably more pervasive, is consumerism. We live in a very consumeristic society. So when we hear these words from Jesus about not storing up riches on earth, we think, well, you mean like a second house or like a third house or maybe like a third boat? That's, that's probably what Jesus is talking about. He's probably talking about a third boat. So my second boat's fine. I don't need to get rid of that. Um, and again, we live in this consumeristic culture where we, we hear these words and we hear them differently than the original audience. We hear them differently than Jesus's uh, disciples here, and um, i 'll give you one, one example of uh, i 'll give you a couple examples of, of how we live in a consumeristic society. Uh, one is from personal experience i have been I have been um, in uh, full time or vo- bivocational vocational ministry now for eighteen years this fall, and uh, so during that time I have heard and seen a lot of different things in ministry, a lot of confessions. I've sat with people when, um, right after they found out uh, that they were cheated on in the wake of adultery. I've sat with people um, that have uh, confessed deep and dark secrets, uh, addictions to drugs that have been hidden for years, um, lying, lots of bitterness in, in family or marriage. And uh, some pretty heavy stuff, like right, right, off the, right off the plate, not like later on, just as soon as it comes out. Um, but the one thing I have never heard in 18 years is no one has ever come to me and say, Pastor John, I need help. I struggle with covetousness. Never happened. Nobody has ever said, I just love things and I can't stop it. It's really an acceptable sin in our culture. Um, When we look at uh, the list of seven deadly sins or however you try to categorize it, a lot of them have bad reputations. But in our society and certainly the Western world, we don't think about wealth and possessions that way. Maybe greed specifically for like cash or money. But Jesus isn't talking only about money. He's talking about a wider array of problems. And probably the best way that we could capture it would be in the sin of coveting or covetousness. And um, if you want a definition, you could say that covetousness is the inordinate desire for wealth or possessions that often includes what belongs to others. It's the inordinate desire, that is to say that It's a good thing, but out of bounds for wealth or possessions that often includes what belongs to others. Covetousness is not only I I want more money, I want a bigger house, I want a a nicer yard, I want more things. It's other people have that. I see it and I want it. I want to take it from them. Or I wish that they didn't have it and I had it. So they would look at me and they, they would say then, oh, he has that or she has that. Jesus is getting at a much bigger issue here than just wealth. He's getting to covetousness. And it's really acceptable. And the second example I would say for you is this. You've probably heard it before, but uh, it has to do with fish in the ocean. If you were to walk up to a fish, and you could talk with him in the ocean, and you would say, so exactly what is water comprised of, in your opinion? Is it H2O or is it, you know, something else? He would say, What's water? because he doesn't know. He's blind to it. It's the, it's the environment for him. It fills every aspect of the fish's life. That's how consumerism is for us as Westerners, especially as Americans. We just dispense things all the time. We consume, consume, consume so much that we don't even think about how it affects most other people or the world around us. And so there's some really positive elements um, in a lot of Uh, people's minds about how we care for the earth. That's a good thing. God's put us here to take care of the earth, not to ruin it. Um, So in terms of a biblical viewpoint, we need to be aware of those kinds of things. We need to be aware of how much we're consuming. And and the examples go on and on. We have malls. Malls are places. I don't like malls at all. But malls are places where you walk into and you can spend all day there. At least teenagers can spend all day there. (laughs) And if it's not malls, then you have what? You get on an airplane and you have Sky Mall, a, a place, a magazine you can look through, and you can just check out everything that you want to see—new gadgets—and oh, I don't have that, but I need that. Uh, we have it everywhere in our society, and if you if if you can see this, it is so pervasive. So many platforms, so many uh, ways that we spend our time. We have Pottery Barn, we have Pinterest, we have Anthropology. Redfin is a big one, just looking at new homes all the time, even if you have a home, looking at all the other homes out there. That's not necessarily bad But uh, to, to have or enjoy those things, but it turns bad, doesn't it? It turns sour when all of a sudden we spend so much of our time thinking about all these other things that we want to have. Recently, I was talking with uh, my, my boys about this, um, and it involved kolaches. And if you don't know what kolaches are, uh, kolaches, uh, I'm sure you don't know what kolaches are, because people don't make them north of Oklahoma for some reason. So they're not up here. Um, but we finally, uh, finally found something like kolaches, and it was at a, uh, a donut shop not far from here. And so we're sitting down eating, and one of the boys asked me, why are we here? Okay, great. Great uh, existential question from a five-year-old. You know, it's, it's pretty normal. Uh, so I said, well, okay, uh, how am I going to answer this? Why are we here? So uh, drum up the old catechism in my mind and uh, say, uh, well, son, why are we here? What is, uh, do you know a song about that? Yes, we're here to glorify God, enjoy him forever. Great, catechism working. Second question right after that. So if we're here to glorify God, how do we do that? How do we do it? Uh, so catechism comes to mind again uh, to, to love God and obey him and follow his rules and law. It's like, wow, these catechisms, it's like a karate kid or something. This is awesome. Um, and then they say, yes, that's it. That's right. Okay, we know that. But now they have to understand it and apply it to real life. So I said, can you, can you glorify God while you eat a kalachi? And they're thinking, wait a second, is this a trap? It's a trap. No, we can't. Yes, we can. Yes. Okay, yes. The answer is yes. Um, Yes, Yes, boys, you are correct. What about playing a video game? Can you glorify God by playing a video game? No, definitely not. Are you sure about that? Well, uh, maybe. Yes, I guess we can. (laughs) We can glorify God by playing a video game. And it's hard for us to recognize this, but that's just a a small example. If we're here, 1 Corinthians 10.31, to glorify God in everything that we do, you can have a house, you can get another house, you can have a boat, you can play a video game, you can eat kolaches, and you can glorify God in all of it. Jesus is not saying that we can't enjoy good things. He's saying when those good things get out of bounds and you think that they're only meant for this world, and they have no relation to the future world and eternity, that's a problem. That's a problem, because then you just consume. And so the first thing that we see here is that God desires for us to seek heavenly treasures, not earthly ones. Why? Because God knows that earthly treasures are eternal. He, He does. And as a good God, He knows what we would be better spent with our time Uh, putting our time into is not earthly things that won't last it'd be heavenly things that will be with us forever forever and it's not just that we're uh, building a new house some people think that by the earthly uh, and heavenly treasures Jesus is saying like every good deed that you do is one brick to your future home in heaven that's a little bit far it's a stretch I don't know exactly what that's going to be like. Um, I doubt that every good work I have to do is going to determine whether my future heavenly home is made of, like, brick or hardy plank, you know? But um, Jesus' point is that we need to be focused on heavenly treasures, not earthly ones. That's his point. And so second point this morning that we see in this passage is not only should we store up heavenly treasures because it shows where our heart is Either in the world or in heaven, um, but that we also need to focus on uh, the the eyes, as Jesus says. And to uh, um, to close out a section for you, uh, sorry, I missed a quote here from John Stott. He says this about about the um, uh, about the heavenly treasures. He says. What Jesus forbids his followers is the selfish accumulation of goods, extravagant and luxurious living, hard heartedness that does not feel the colossal need for the world's underprivileged people, and the materialism that tethers our hearts to the earth. For the Sermon on the Mount repeatedly refers to the heart, and here Jesus declares that our heart always follows our treasure, whether down to earth or up to heaven. That's the point. Down to earth or up to heaven. Our heart is either in one of those two places. So Jesus is going to continue that argument, saying that not only is our heart either in the earth or in heaven, and that's where our treasures correspondingly go, but also that worldly treasures can turn us dark. Um, and, and this next two sections is actually a little confusing uh, for us. Again, not for the original hearers, I think, um, Because Jesus is is pulling up ideas that are common to their minds, but not to ours. If you're anything like me, the first thing that you think with this section is, why is Jesus talking about eyes and darkness and light? So let's read it. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? This is a metaphor, it's a simile, of course. And as Jesus is talking about wealth and possessions, again, not just cash, not just money, wealth and things, um, he's going to talk about the eye and the body, the eye and the body. And um, these are these are synonyms uh, with the, the way that we set our eyes and the way that we set our heart. One place that you can go to to see that from the biblical mind is in Psalm 119, where David says, in verse 6, I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. So God's law, his commandments are the, the end goal here. And then in verse 10, he says, with my whole heart, I seek you. Do not let me stray from your commandments. So, so when Jesus is talking about the eyes and the heart, he's using it synonymously. And he's saying that really your, your eyes are the same thing as your heart in a sense. What you look at is really what you're setting your heart on. And um, so Jesus plays off this idea, biblical idea, but more than that, um, he's, he's going to uh, interact with a philosophy of the day that came out actually in the fifth century. Uh, it was a, a debate in the Greek world of whether or, not, um, whether or not things go into your eye or things come out of your eye. And the, uh, the term for that is called extramission vision, that things go out of your eye uh, because they're in your heart versus things come into your eye and then they go to your heart. Jesus, again, is saying it's what's on the inside that impacts everything else around you, everything else. A healthy eye, Jesus says, uh, or clear vision, is what suggests loyal devotion to God, While a bad eye, which is impaired vision, connotes moral corruption. So hear that, moral corruption. When Jesus is talking about your eye, or your eyes, and and the darkness or light that's there, he says it's really an issue of corruption or righteousness. And... Uh, we have some frame of reference for us, even though it's a bit remote in our culture. If you've heard the evil eye before, someone having an amulet around their neck, a lot of countries still have this. You can buy these off Pinterest, actually. Um, I, I looked. I didn't buy any, but I did look this week. Uh, you can get amulets that you wear around your wrist or your neck or earrings, different kinds of things, and uh, the point is that they ward off this, this uh, evil spiritual force. And the evil spiritual force is not just ambiguous. It's not just floating around out there. It's in other people. And so the idea of the extramission vision is a an very ancient idea that says that um, there, there is corruption. There is, there, is, uh, there is darkness inside of you. And when other people see the good things that you have, that darkness comes out of their eye and onto you... And then curses you, and then bad things happen to you. And so, in an ancient world, or even still in a lot of the Eastern uh, cultures, they will have these amulets to ward off the evil eye. We might even say that if somebody is overcome by jealousy, that they have the green eye of jealousy. That's where all that comes from. Um, and Jesus is interacting with this philosophy, and he's saying that it's the if darkness inside of you is inside of you. And you want other things all the time and money. How great is that darkness? There's no end to it. There's essentially no amulet that you could have that would prevent it. There's no, there's no um, deterrent to this evil. It will pervade every aspect of your life. And it will harm other people around you. So Jesus is very serious about this. And he's, he's giving us this option of light or darkness. Light or darkness. And, uh, you know, we see this in all different ways of our culture. I'll go ahead and give you a fun one, okay? I try to always put some kind of a Marvel or DC quote in here when I preach. Here's your DC Universe one um, The Green Lanterns. If anybody's familiar with the Green Lantern Corps, uh, they are a uh, totally fictional galactic kind of police to keep everything in order. Very noble. And uh, they all have oaths. All the Lantern Corps have oaths. So here's the Green Lantern Corps. A little education for you today. In brightest day, and blackest night, no evil shall escape my sight. Let those who worship evils might be. where my power, Green Lantern's light. Very moving, very noble, very, um, uh, very inspiring, right? And, and with the, the language of escaping uh, evil, escaping sight, and all that. The point is like, no, we don't want any, any part of that. So we recognize this as a society, even the comic book society. We don't want to do that. We don't want to be greedy. We don't want to capitalize on everything in the world. But uh, they also recognize in the comic book community another oath. And this is from the Orange Lantern Corps. Very, very uh, obscure. Not many people know about the Orange Lantern Corps. That's because uh, it's just one guy. It's just one guy, and his name is Larflees. Yeah, he's not very, uh, not very flattering. Uh, but here's his oath. What's mine is mine, and mine and mine, and mine and mine, not yours. <laughs> you see, even as a culture, we recognize, like, if, if you get there as a person where you just consume all the time, and you, you're always envious or jealous uh, about what other people have, it turns you dark. It turns you dark. You, you don't have friends you don't have relationships. Ironically, you're not even probably going to have that much stuff. So rather than being consumed with accumulated wealth and things, Jesus wants his people. Again, it's not just idealism here in the Sermon on the Mount. This is how Jesus wants his community to operate. He wants his people to have their entire being filled with generosity, not covetousness and darkness. And the third point here. God desires us to seek heavenly treasures, not earthly ones, because Jesus is a better master than money. Simply put, Jesus is better. And so in the last verse, Jesus says that no one can serve two masters. Since either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other, you cannot serve both God and money. Can't do it. The last reason here uh, really lines up with Bob Dylan. He was right. Bob Dylan was right. That's the moral of the sermon here, (laughs) that uh, we all got to serve somebody. And so Jesus' division is super clear. There are only two choices. I am sympathetic to a third third way argument in a lot of different environments, a lot of different uh, contexts. But this is not one. Jesus says, you got two options. You can serve God or you can serve money. Or things and possessions, and the the word that he uses here for uh, for money, some of your translations might say mammon. Uh, It's just the transliteration of the the Aramaic word, and it just it doesn't mean just money. Again, it means money and possessions and property. So if you're thinking, well, you know, I don't have like tons of money or stuff, but I got land. I don't know how you have land around here anyway, but um, (laughs) Jesus has you on the hook here too. It really does. However you think about it, money, possessions, or property, whatever you own, the stuff that you want to accumulate, he says you either serve that or you serve God. These are the only two choices. And we don't like this. If I can be totally honest, I don't like this. Like, I don't like the reality of God's exclusive nature. I don't. We don't like that as a society. We don't like it as a people. We often compartmentalize God and often to Sundays where we think like, well, God's in his house on Sundays and then I'm out of his house the rest of the week, but then I come back into God's house and I spend time with God. We may not say that, but we do operate like that sometimes. We do operate like that. And and Jesus says, no, you can't do that. You can't have just a little bit of God and then a lot of stuff. That is really what your life is about. You have to choose one or the other. Uh, and I have another quote from John Stott here for The Win. He says this, might be, We might be able to serve two employers, but no one can be owned by two masters. No. So anyone who divides their allegiance between God and money has already given it to money. God can be served only with an entire and exclusive devotion. That hits me. Yes, I think I could serve two employers, but not be owned by two masters. And we need to empty our minds of of uh, some Western thought when it comes to uh, the slave and master relationship. Because Jesus is saying, this master that you're talking about with God, you couldn't find anyone who was more generous. You couldn't find anyone who was more gracious. At the, at the end of your servitude, if you want to say that, as a Christian, you're rewarded with more wealth and riches than you could possibly imagine. You're better cared for, you're better clothed, you're better fed, you're better rested than anyone else in the world. Not to say, again, that Christians or heavenly treasures mean that you will be sitting on a pile of cash On this side of eternity. But to say that God has your interests. He knows what they are. He knows what your needs are. And later on. um, Just after this. Jesus will talk about anxiety. And he'll say God. He cares about you more than the birds of the air. There's an order to creation. And if God cares about birds or lilies. How much more you. He's a good master. Versus money or mammon, uh, things, possessions, property. The, the contrast to God is very stark here. You see, Jesus doesn't, uh, in his rhetoric, he doesn't even say like a personified person because there's no like, person like that. Um, he says you can serve God like a person or you can serve stuff like an idiot. <laughs> like, I mean, why would you do that? You have no relationship with that stuff. They never talk back to you. So Jesus, Jesus very much is saying, uh, think about your choices and make wise choices. But we also know from this entire Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is not just saying, don't be dumb. He's not just saying that. He's saying that there is a real um, wisdom factor here when you, you start to think about your life and your choices and your money and how you're spending it and whether you're actually securing your, your uh, earthly retirement or your heavenly retirement. He's talking about that for sure. But more than that, he's talking about and trying to get to the heart again because he knows, Jesus knows, he could have just said, heavenly treasures are greater than earthly ones, so don't be dumb. Make the right choice, people. And left the sermon on the mount. Went down the mountainside. But he doesn't do that because he knows it takes more than that to change us. It takes more than that to change our hearts. The Apostle Paul talks about it this way in 2 Corinthians 8. He says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich for your sake, he became poor, so that by your poverty you might become rich. Or his poverty. Think about that. So that by his poverty you may become rich. Have you ever just taken a little bit of time to think about how wealthy Jesus was before the Incarnation? This, this is a real choice in the Godhead that we see in the Scriptures. There's a, a dialogue between the Father and the Son um, where they're talking about God's covenant people. John 15-17 uh, through 17 is a great place to see that kind of uh, background and conversation as Jesus prays for his people praise for his his beloved. Praise for his disciples. There's a real choice involved here where the son in eternity past somehow has to say yes, Father. I will lose all of my heavenly wealth, all of my status, and I will come and be born into a filthy world where everyone is striving and just trying to get what everyone else has and be on top. More than that, I'll come, and when I come, I don't come in a palace. I come to be born in a manger, in a stable, and no one knows about me, except some wise men that I'll tell. You see, Jesus, in his incarnation even, not just his exaltation, not just as when he ascends the throne and receives everything back, But in his incarnation, Jesus became empty, poor, despicable, a man of sorrows, Scripture tells us. And even more than that, on the cross, Jesus, you know what he has at the end of his life on the cross? One garment. That's all he has. Nowhere to lay his head, itinerant, went from town to town to town, Somebody else provides for his stuff most of the time. uh, Other women who are very sympathetic and uh, caring decided to support his ministry. Jesus didn't fundraise. I don't know if you didn't know that. He didn't live in a penthouse. Jesus lost everything. And on the cross, literally the last piece of clothing that he had. Why? So that we might become rich. So that we might receive the the inestimable eternal treasures of heaven if if you look at Jesus like that you see a man like that you see a god like that and say nah i'd rather have my boat what you do is just show what Jesus said where your heart lies and that's not what god desires it's not what God desires. He wants us to be with Him. One of the ways that you could think about it is one of the only things that Jesus didn't have before descending from heaven and coming to earth was us. The glory for the Father, for sure, of a host of people that love Him and serve Him and will be connected to Him and united in faith in local congregations all over the world throughout time. Yes. Glory to God but a part of glory to God means you and me. That's why Jesus came. And so I encourage you to to look at Jesus like this and and be wooed by him. See his care, see his love. See him on the cross and how much he loses, but how much he picks back up when he comes back to life and now guarantees our salvation. So, like Jesus says here, as he's making this progression, you have to make a choice. You actually have to decide, heavenly treasures or earthly ones, light or darkness, and then last year, God or money. The choice is before you. So, if if you have not thought about this before, if it hasn't been clear to you, oh, I have a choice. I need to decide something here. Then I encourage you, decide. Follow Jesus. Trust in him. Love him. He will not let you down. Three points of application as we close. Number one, take a look at your credit card statement from this past month and consider what expenses are related to storing up heavenly treasures. This is like real application, people. It's real. If you want to think about how much you've invested into heaven versus how much you've invested into the earth, Just look at your credit card statement and then think through what expenses would correlate somehow to a new heavens and new earth. Other people that you brought into the kingdom, generosity, serving the poor. There's certainly things like daily needs that we have um, that would fit into that too. But as an application point, just I challenge you, do it. And, And see what happens. See what God reveals. Number two, Watch what you put into your eyes this week. Watch what you put into your eyes. Is it darkness or light? When you start to think about how you spend your time and the things that you're looking at, because most of us have sight, most of us can see, and as you do that, uh, or you think about your ears and what you hear, what you're taking in, is it, is it stuff? Is it money-related? Is it stuff-related, possessions or property that you just want more and more and more? Or is it light? Is it generosity? Is it giving? Something to think about this week. And then last, I, I challenge you, maybe spend ten minutes this week. Just sitting down in the silence all by yourself and meditate on how much God gave us in Christ. Meditate on it. Think about his incarnation. Think about his his trials in the wilderness. Think about his earthly ministry and all the sacrifices involved. Think about the uh, relationships and the betrayal that he suffered that he didn't have to. Think about the cross. These are all ways that Jesus gave up heavenly treasures. But then expand your imagination. I think God's given this imagination for a reason. Think about what in the world Jesus gave up to come here. Power, authority, dominion, and the, and, and the Godhead, this, this uh, omnipresence being all places at one time? How does that work? I don't know. You could spend 10 minutes pretty easily and just think about how much Jesus has given up to make us wealthy. Church, I encourage you, and all these things again, that Jesus says, My yoke is easy, my burden is light. Come to me, all you are heavy laden. Find rest for your souls. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for sending your son and making us a generous people through him. Lord, I thank you um, that this church has tasted and seen so much of this biblical truth, that you have blessed us to bless other people, that you have laid down your own privileges, you've laid down your own rights, your own... um, your own status even, for our benefit, that we may be lifted up, that we may be raised to the same level of Christ seated with him in the heavenlies. Lord, what an incredible thing that you would do this for people who are not just poor when it comes to heavenly wealth, but your enemies apart from you. Father, I ask that you would refresh us by this wonderful truth. Thank you that you sent your Son to draw us to yourself. In your Son's name, amen.